so he got kicked out of South Africa, mm. taught English in Thailand, <laughs> and now run a video games company that has so many employees that you can't count them anymore. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Welcome to Brood in Bangkok, the podcast about the people you meet in the city that makes a hard man crumble. Welcome to Brood in Bangkok. It's your host, Karsten. And today, the sky is the limit. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a pretty good intro. Right. Your name is Sky. My name is Sky. My biological name is Sky. Well, the, the name my mother gave me at birth. Yeah. <laughs> biological name yeah like, I, don't, I don't know if that they call that biological name yeah my name my birth name it's on my passport and everything i have legal documents <laughs> do, do, do people ask you a lot about that uh most people just assume it's my nickname okay um yeah and they <laughs> they, they get uh, girls get more fascinated with it when they kind of find out that it's more my that's my real name that's useful can be yes T a terrible name If you don't want to get beaten up at school, <laughs> but, a, but a great name later on in life. Tell me about how you came to Thailand. Whew, this is a, okay, this is a conversation that took place back in South Africa. My brother and I were making stew for my mom and uh, I, I was cooking. I was doing all the prepping, all the vegetables and sort of doing my thing in the kitchen. And while I was playing with pots and pans, my brother was sitting with an Excel spreadsheet um, calculating how much it would cost for us to get evicted because we were getting evicted and we had to move and we had to leave, leave our neighborhood and relocate very far away from where we were living. And he did the math and then just quickly Googled how much were plane tickets to Thailand. <laughs> And he said... A natural comparison. A natural <laughs> comparison. And he just, he said, he laughingly said to me, oh, by the way, you know, the cost of moving is the same as two plane tickets of, you know, to Thailand. And then I laughed at him and I said, let's go. Because uh, our, our country was in a bit of an economic, you know, downward spiral and we were both feeling the pressure. Which country is that? South Africa. Okay. You were living together with your brother? We were, yeah. We and were, your mother? No, no, no. We no. were... We were visiting our mother at her place oh, okay. at the time, but we were living together. We both had we had an apartment together, and uh, yeah, then we we decided to sell everything. So you went to Thailand and you rented an apartment together with your brother. Well, we when we first arrived, we traveled around a bit to figure out whether we wanted to live here. So we traveled as tourists around the country, experiencing different places. We went to Chiang Mai. We went down south and looked at the beautiful islands, and actually pretty much got lost in Thailand a little bit. Uh, we were so enamored by the beauty and the amazing places and the sweet people and the cheap food that was nutritious and delicious. We're like, we ba basically lost our minds and we spent all our money. We basically were almost broke. And then we, we, we were like, oh, we've got to do something. And so we both became English teachers. I came here with quite a large set of skills to try find something and found it quite difficult to get, you know, sort of send people my CVs and send emails and realized people don't, aren't, you know, people don't really check their emails. People are not really interested in that sort of um, 
that sort of business approach that I was very used to and very accustomed to in my country where you send an email and the next day you get a response. So that wasn't happening for us, even though we were incredibly well qualified, um, we, we struggled a bit. So then we, you know, we found teaching and that was fun. <laughs> um, did you have any experience teaching whatsoever? I did actually. Okay. I did. I, I was uh, a lecturer in my university. I, my, my main lecturer got very violently ill and I was asked by the university to come and lecture in, as a replacement for him for a long time. After I'd done the, the sort of lecturing, when I, they saw that on my CV, they gave me five-year-olds, which I thought was a bit, <laughs> a, a bit of a shock, but I, that was, they were the most fun. I really enjoyed teaching young kids. Uh, where I, where, when I moved from teaching five-year-olds and you know, playing with toys and teaching them cat, dog, mouse, hat, house, you know, that sort of thing was super fun to me because I, I can draw. So I was illustrating kitty cats and mice and pigs and things and getting and spaceships and oh, monsters. Right. You're an and, animator, right? Right. So, so you could actually draw animation style on the chalkboard. I, so. Yeah, and that's basically my most effective strategy for teaching. Oh man, the kids must have loved it. They loved that. it, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so so I, would, I would quiz them and then they would, they would sh shout, oh, monster! And then I would draw a monster on the board and I'd say, what is the monster doing? He's swimming! And then I'd draw him in water and then, and then we'd add things to it and it would become this sort of, it was play basically, but the kids were learning stuff while they were playing um and then you teach high school kids and they're like and your mom went, or no mom. the high school thing was you know they they had a very strict curriculum i felt that it was um they needed to move on and also i missed the sort of the camaraderie of working with a bunch of guys who are all creating like a you know a product together or creating something like that i missed that a little bit so what happened yeah i, I met up with this guy who was a company owner of a video game company And he, he contacted me and said, hey, we need, you know, we need a guy to fulfill this animation position. And my qualifications fit, you know, fitted that perfectly. You've drawn a lot of cats and chalkboards. I've, I've drawn many cats and mice and <laughs> cows. So, yeah, at this point, I'm, I'm really feel like I need to move on. I've spent quite a lot of time with five-year-olds and a lot of time with angry high schoolers. And for me, it was uh, time to get serious about my career again and try to make money and, you know, not just um, pay a little bit more attention to my, my career. Then meeting this guy, I fitted the criteria quite well for this position, but they weren't hiring for a while. So I kept harassing them, <laughs> basically. Um, I sent them YouTube videos of me explaining to them why I'd be a great fit for the company. And I'd send them an email every, you know, I sent them a few emails of that. And then eventually they were like, well, we got to hire this guy. And yeah, so I went, joined them and met a lot of really awesome people, very talented individuals. And they taught me a lot. They taught me everything that I needed to know in order to, later start a video game company so you started your own video game company yes which happened a few years later after i joined that uh joined that guy's company that company was going to get closed down uh the the owner kind of 
it was a passion thing for him. He was making so much money doing other things that he didn't really want to keep this thing running. It was more of an irritation than anything to him. So uh, we had all these guys who were seriously talented. I mean, game designers and um, analytics guys, a lot of guys who had, you know, really, really amazing backgrounds who were perfectly situated to um, make really good money in the video games industry, in the video game space. And then, so we had a, basically me and the guys there, we had a sit down and said, we got to find investors and we've got to start like we got to start a game company and we all agreed. And then we went out and we looked for investors and found them and then started. Um, we all brought our relevant skills and or money to the table and started, started a company together. So you got evicted from South Africa, came here, taught English, decided you're better off drawing cats for video games than classrooms and then started, uh, Video game company, which has now how many employees? Oh, I lost count. I, I think after they passed the hundred mark, I think I just I, 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 I left as well. So I, I wasn't really a part of okay. uh, the. So, so got kicked out of South Africa, mm. taught English in Thailand, <laughs> and now run a video games company that has so many employees that you can't count them anymore. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a very strange journey, and it's not one that I recommend to most people because it is um, a real emotional roller coaster. How so? What like all your character flaws are going to come out? You know, partnering up with you know guys who are business professionals, and they have different goals that are not aligned with your goals, and the challenges of trying to keep your relationships with them going while I don't know I you know I I realized very early on that people are going to do what people do they it's not because they're vindictive it's not because they're assholes it's not because they're whatever it's really because it's a byproduct of their journey how they were raised the challenges that they faced and where they are so if some some person thinks that, you know, uh, buying software that's going to save everyone in the company, you know, four hours a week of their time that they don't have to spend doing that, and they go, nah, just let them work on it. This is just a hypothetical. This never really happened. Uh, but if the cost of that is quite small to the company. So the argument of should we spend it on that? Most people morally would say, save everyone four hours. That seems like a great idea. But if people go, no, we want to save money and let the staff just keep working an extra four hours every day. That, that to me, you know, there's a conflict of interest, especially if you're one of the people working that extra four <laughs> hours. <laughs> okay. So nowadays, however, you're not really working in that company anymore, right? No, I, I left uh, and... I'm very glad I left, not under the, I'm glad I left, not, not because I didn't enjoy it. I really thoroughly enjoyed creating the company. It, for me, sort of lost the magic and, and that's just a personal thing. I felt that because, every, you know, we got so many more employees and so many new, more new faces and things that these people were. The, the company started to become alien to me because we grew really, really fast, you know, and when you grow fast, um, 
there's a lot more miscommunications. There's a lot more teething issues when, you know, you, you started you're having teething problems as a startup. You overcome those. You got lots of money. Now you're growing from a startup into a full-fledged big company. And now you have big company teething problems. So that for me, I was not willing to go through that whole process again. And I was exhausted at that point because I'd been working really, really hard. So I needed something fresh and new. And this thing was bubbling away in the back for a long time. And I got really excited about it. And it was something that I was in my spare time was doing anyway. Okay, so let's drop the bomb. What happened after <laughs> you started this 100 people video game, super successful company from scratch, from nothing, you found your real calling in life and it is... Right. I'm a, <laughs> I am now a dating coach, which is a very fancy way of saying I help people with uh, social anxiety. I'm really a social anxiety expert um, with regards to relationships, dating, uh, generalized anxiety, um, personal, I don't know, personal help guru. I don't know. There's so many different uh, hats that I wear when I'm doing this job. But people come to me with everything from agoraphobia, being afraid of wide open spaces um, and have been a shut in case uh, you know, staying at home, working from home as an architect for many years, not being able to leave the house. And then they come, to, you know, they find me online and then contact me and want me to change them, really change them. Some people would say that is a job for trained medical or psychological professional. I agree. It is. And a lot of my clients come to me straight from medical professionals and I'm not to you know not to belittle what they do but there are certain things that have developed in the last couple of years online um, effective strategies of being able to grow and develop as a person that have not existed you know in the last 50 so they're a little bit behind the times when it comes to personal development and um, social anxieties and things like that. Mm. Do you think that people come to you for advice about these topics because they perceive you as someone who's successful at dating? No, actually, I don't think they, you know, the, you obviously, uh, you know, in like promotional material, you have to show, you know, there's videos of me walking up to girls and, in, in a, you know, in a bar, in a club, in a place. And I have videos on YouTube of me walking up to a girl and breaking it down a step-by-step step how I did what I did and how I got her phone number, for example. That, I think people assume you have to have that. But I think the re main reason people come to me is because they, some part of what I say resonates with them. Some, but one little pearl of wisdom, they hear it, and they go, that's for me. And they apply it immediately to their lives and they see it change. They see that that worked. Mm -hmm. And when they see that, then they get excited and they, they, they go, oh, well, if that's true, then some of this other stuff must be true. Because I can, I mean, I've written huge articles on certain uh, subjects, but 
unless the person who is suffering with that in that particular moment reads it, it sort of falls on deaf ears. It's kind of people are just reading it to for entertainment as opposed to reading it because they actually have mm. a real deep issue with that. The people you, well, advice on here, they're mm. expats, they're Thais, they're like, who do you help with their dating life in Bangkok? Who do I help? I, I mean, I help a very wide, uh, wide variety of people. Um, I expats for sure are probably my my primary um, group of people that I do help. I find it's more expat men that come to me for advice and Thai women who come to me for advice. So, really? Yeah. Very, very strangely. Um, I think that there is there seems to be a lot of misunderstandings about each other's gender and also about cultural differences between the two of them. So there's two very, very confused groups of people who like each other, but don't really know how to make it work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it, I mean, as a, for expats, you would assume they, they are here, they're probably for a lot of people, they will appear exotic, interesting. They, they have a much easier life here from an English perspective than maybe back home. True. That is true. But I think that a lot of guys who've been living here for a while will, they, they have, they meet a couple of girls, they date a couple of girls, and then they start to, the sort of cultural stuff starts to affect them. The, uh, the different ways that they operate, plus all the regular issues that why they were having issues back home with dating. Like, can you think of a specific example? Um, yeah, sure. The, uh, the guy I had actually just quite recently, he had an issue with not being able to read body language, which is 90% of women's communication is body language. So if you have a guy who can't read body language, you know, and can't hear the tone in the girl's voice when she's upset with you, then you're always going to piss her off. <laughs> she's always going to be angry. She's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. You can totally go out with your friends tonight. There's no problem. Just go. Just go. You know, he's like, like, okay. he's like oh, yeah, sure. Factual information goes in and he goes, oh, I'm approved. And then goes out stress-free and comes back to, you know, fire and brimstone. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, he struggles a lot because he grew up in a situation where uh, he grew up raised by his father and his father it was an engineer and everything is very logical very left brain dominant you know upbringing and he never really learned how to sort of understand subtle communication human communication body language being able to read people vocal tonality all those kinds of things so by filling in that information all of a sudden he's starting to understand women more and more starting to understand that they operate primarily based on emotions, not on logic like men do. So because of that, he can start to communicate with women a little bit better. Do you think these people hire you because they want to be more like you? I think that people look at me and they see a guy who is very confident and doesn't give a shit about other, you know, what people think about him. I, I got a lot of haters but I also got just as many people who have, you know, changed their lives 
for the positive and in such a way that is so moving that I'm brought to tears by it because, you know, they're so thankful for how, how they've been able to turn their life around with, you know, very simple things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, uh, so I don't know that they come to me specifically for that, but I think that most people care too much. They're way too sensitive about, you know, their feelings, um, in a negative way. They don't, they feel a lot of negative things. They have a lot of negative thoughts. They have a lot of negative things to say about other people and being able to change your mindset from that negative state into a positive one is sort of part of the process is that you start to see things from a positive viewpoint. Instead of seeing yourself as a victim, you see yourself as someone who's exciting, uh, somebody who people want to engage with, you know, you're not a you're not a slob. You're changing that now, and you're going to turn it into a positive. You're going to now get well groomed and clean your place. And you've actually lost a lot of weight, right? Yes, I used to be 165 kilograms, and now you are 91. Okay, so I'm still a big guy, but I'm. But I that's mean, a lot of self-discipline, right? You don't. That wasn't self-discipline, man. That was really. Uh, I mean. It was get healthy or you're going to die. <laughs> that there's not a lot of discipline, you know, when it comes to that. I think when a doctor tells you, you know, you're, you're cruising for death's door very quickly. You have your foot on the gas. But you still have to put that into practice. I mean, no one, you know, sure takes sure. your food away. Yeah, right? no, that's true. I mean, I went through, I don't know. 20 different diets before I found something that worked. What worked for you? Ketogenic diet. Um, in a nutshell. What in a nutshell. A ketogenic diet is high fats, um, moderate protein, incredibly low carbohydrates. Um, so people sort of say it's akin to the Atkins diet, but it's not really. Um, what it does is it switches your metabolism from uh, sugar burning, which is carbohydrates, sugars, uh, fructose, all that stuff. That's what your body uses as energy. And then you switch metabolisms, which is an uncomfortable process, but you switch over to fat burning. And then your body says, oh, all the cells in your body say we're using fat now to burn as energy. And when it does that, if you limit your intake of calories, just even a little bit, then your body goes, hey, we're burning fat. And then it goes, oh, look over here. Your love handle's full of fat. We need some more energy right now. And it just takes it straight out of, yeah, straight out of reserve. I mean, for you, it's obviously anecdotally proven, right? It worked for you? For sure, yeah. Is it, otherwise, is it? It's is pretty it, popular right now. Okay, yeah. it's, so uh, I think a lot of help. It's not bro science? No, no, no. It's not quite bro science. Um, it, there, it's been around for a long time. Um, but it, it, you know, it went by different names. Yeah, it was super highly effective for me. And a lot of the guys that come to me that have weight issues, I immediately just say, hey, dude, stop. Don't even bother with anything else. I mean, this is free. It's free information and it works. You know, give it a go. Go through the process and you'll see. And the, the funny thing about it is the weight peels off you so quickly that it, it's very exciting because I did a lot of other di diets where it was really hard work. I was climbing up mountains to lose weight and then I'd get back down and then I'd eat calories again and I would just put the weight straight back on that I lost climbing a mountain. So it wasn't, 
wasn't really effective. But mm. this is super fun because if you track your weight loss, it's it's a hell of a lot of fun. Every day you're like, oh my god, I've you know I've dropped another couple of pounds. It's, it's very exciting. Mm. Yeah, motivating. You are as as a dating coach. Um, I feel like a lot of people when they see their own profession in the movies, they're like, oh, this is so unrealistic. <laughs> So what yeah. was it? Was it Hitch, right? Hitch, Will Smith. Yeah, Hitch. What do you think? Well, I mean, I have been compared to him by women so many times. It's it's become a thing. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'd say the big difference is that in the movie Hitch, it's not representative of what not representative of what I do at all. What he does seems to be help people hook up, which is not what I do. I help people help themselves. So I give people the skills or the help them overcome emotional or psychological boundaries that are preventing them from, you know, achieving the things that they want to achieve. But you still have to deliver on the phone numbers, right? Well, they deliver on the phone numbers. If I, you know, if, if a person comes to me and they're incredibly shy and introverted, they don't get phone numbers. So getting one phone number is a big deal and that they have to prove that to themselves. I know that he can do it. Mm. I've seen it. I've, you know, I've seen it a hundred times. I've seen guys go out and get phone numbers for the first time and come back and they're, you know, their face is red and they're all lit up and they're so excited. They've never been so excited in their whole life. And I'm like, calm down, man. It's just one phone number, you know, <laughs> but to them, it's such a huge milestone moment for a guy who, you know, has been staying at home, playing Xbox and going to work and going home and has no social life outside of his mm. you know his online clan but do you tell people something that you know i mean obviously the helping them you know gain confidence mm. feel better about themselves all that contributes but do you tell them specifics on how to go about this sure definitely and the thing is i get accused a lot for being a misogynist But I play both sides. So, so you do the, you do the what, do you, what do we have? Uh, the negging? The, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's sort of, I think that's also taken out of context because that is uh, this very old right. technology can, from can you, can a long you just, time ago. What is it? What is it? So what, what negging is, was actually originally intended for, it's not something I, excuse me, not something I condone, but what it is is that when somebody is being, uh, specifically a woman, is being unbelievably bitchy and dismissive to a man who's trying to be friendly then you use it as a tactic to say i'm not going to take this from you i'm not allowing you to put me down so if you're going to put me down i'm going to just do exactly the same thing right back to you and what that does is it rocks her confidence a little bit mm. can it, you give an example so uh, a classic example would be a, you know, a chubby guy, for example, obviously he doesn't have a lot of, you know, can, you can visually see he doesn't have a lot of self-esteem. He walks up to the prettiest girl at the bar. Now, women generally are dismissing guys a lot because they are, they want to basically find guys that they're interested in. So the chubby guy comes along and he's a really nice guy, but, you know, it's a little bit of a confidence issue and she can see it. So what she does is she... She's in a bit of a mood and she doesn't have time for him. So she turns around and she's like, you know, who do you think you are coming over here? Right. Which would naturally dismiss most guys would 
walk away. Except for your super confident guy would just be like, ha, 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 you know, and laugh at it and carry on talking. But obviously his, his cage gets rattled a little bit. So in order to sort of bring, sort of get her out of that little sort of bitchy mindset and to, you know, let her know that what she's doing is socially unacceptable, really, to treat people like that. He would use something on her, like, you know, announce to all her friends, like, oh, my God, she's such a bitch. You, you guys take her out everywhere and she behaves like this. Are you serious? And then that sort of social pressure, you know, from the group being put on her will correct her behavior. And all of a sudden she'll be like, oh, my God, actually, I think I was being inappropriate and I'm really sorry. And now they now there's an opportunity for them to actually really meet and really have a conversation. So that what that's what it was initially designed for. Bangkok is really a place where a lot of people come through. Mm. And I've met a lot of dating coaches coming through Bangkok who bring their dating strategies mm. from the US to Thailand. Right. And <laughs> there's a bit of a cultural mismatch or maybe a language barrier. So 100%, yes. it doesn't quite seem to work. I'm not sure how it works in London or New York, right. but it doesn't seem to work that way here. Mm. So Very true. I think the reason is because American women are looking for, you know, the man who's a go-getter, you know, the sort of brash, confident, you know, guy who's all about, you know, where he's going, what he's doing. He's got, you know, self-motivated drive. So anything that smells of confidence to American women is like quite attractive and quite a turn on. Whereas in Thailand, because of the social system here, women are more about sort of family life. You know, their, their relationships are way more integrated it's not about standing on your own it's about being part of a group so when you're going into a club what she's actually looking for in a club is she's really looking for a boyfriend and so you have to change what you do in order to present yourself differently to this hyper confident guy that works in america and in american bars and clubs mm. what what kind of differences do you realize or have you done from teaching guys about dating in South Africa mm. versus here? Like what's some, have you, do you specifically remember something misfiring here or, you know, where you change something and it works for the first time? Um, well, yeah, one of the main things that I realized is um, in America, women will give you, oh, and South Africa, most Western countries, um, and this is also true for expats who travel around Asia, um, women who are Western sort of educated more are w way more interested in guys who present their personality in a certain way. You know, they present themselves as being confident. Whereas guys here uh, in Thailand, it's way more about face value. So what you see is what you get kind of. There's a sort of disconnect where the women here see a guy and he's, you know, he's dressed in, uh, you know, nice. He looks like a Korean pop star with little suspenders and little yellow bow tie. And he looks very cute and he's got work like little nerdy glasses. And she goes, oh, he'll be a cute little boyfriend. Like he'll be nice. He's not, he's not a player. He's not a bad boy. He's the kind of guy I want to settle down with. But meanwhile, the reality is he probably is a player and he, he's dressing like that on purpose as like, 
it's like player camouflage, if you will. Um, and so there's a disconnect there, I think, between them. Uh, American women want to find out your, find your personality first. And here women are more interested in superficially what you, what you present yourself to be as, you know, sort of visually. And then the personality thing kind of works itself out much later. They're not kind of as um, strong about trying to figure out your personality in the first five minutes that they meet you. So in other words, in South Africa, we're much more likely to give people a pep talk, whereas in Bangkok, you take them to the tailor. <laughs> I do, yeah, I do makeovers with my students, but it's more for uh, it's more for preventing being disqualified by women who consider themselves higher status than you in the first five minutes of the interaction. So that's about, and also something that's sustainable for them, <laughs> because fashion can be a for men is quite a minefield. Like we have no idea. Guys are just super confused about. Why is a girl wearing plates as a dress? I don't understand that. And how does that translate to the way I dress? You know, it seems daunting and super confusing. Mm -hmm. So, But you also advise women here. I do, yeah. Thais. Thai women. Also, How did they even find you? <laughs> Thai, Japanese, Korean uh, girls. Um, a lot of word of mouth. Um, women especially, because women... You know, they find a, you know, they find someone like me, and they gossip and they chat and they, oh my god, you should meet this guy. And especially the girls who've seen a lot of success by applying some of the information that I've given them. Okay, what do you do for them? What's different? What's different that you do for women than for men? Men, for the most part, have high degrees of social anxiety because they are too left brain dominant, and they're not, um, and they rely too much on logic. And so what I'm doing is I'm educating men in understanding emotions, um, how, what emotional communication is, what sub-communication is, what body language is, all the things that are sort of involved with the emotional side of the brain, you know, your right hemisphere of your brain. Women are super emotional, so they're more missing the data, the How, how, the steps that you need to take. Why does this work? Why doesn't this? You know, so there's a lot more sort of informational stuff. Like, what does that mean in practice? Do you teach them how to use Excel or like, well, in, like in, what's the what's a specific case where you tell? Okay, what what you know? Can you give an example of some woman you helped or like what did you do for her? Um, so most of what I do is theory lessons with women, and then so there's it's heavy on the theory, very light on the practical. So I would teach women, for example. The difference between dressing to impress women and dressing to impress men if you want to get selected as a potential mate you know okay what's the can you give us sure freebies um <laughs> so men you and you can confirm this uh men sort of break women into three categories there's the sort of um cute girl who dresses to look sort of i don't know the japanese say kawaii like really cute big eyes dressed to look very girl next door but in a very cutie 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 kind of way then there's a slutty dress which is a woman who's revealing a little bit too much you know um and then there's the sort of bitchy girl and guys kind of almost force girls into these three different categories you're either the cute one the slutty one or the bitchy one and this is a very broad categories but The bitchy girl most men won't approach because she seems unattainable. It's that girl in the power suit, 
you know, standing at the bar, drinking a martini. Most guys are terrified of that. And so they're, that girl gets approached very little. And if you want to improve your, you know, your dating life, you have to frequency is really what you need. You need to meet more people. You need to give more guys the opportunity to meet you. So dressing like that, although it impresses other girls, it doesn't help you with your relationships. Then there's the slutty girl. And now the slutty girl, men look at her and they go, well, she's going to be fun, right? But she's not the kind of girl who we want to take home and meet our parents. She's not the kind of girl who we're going to be like, well, you know, if, if she's dressing like that, I mean, she obviously she has a couple of other boys maybe, you know, I don't know if she's trustworthy. Most guys think this way, even though it's just a fashion decision. It's not necessarily who she really is, but men will think that on you know, first impression. So how does that lesson go? Do you hold up pictures of like, you know, Oh, well it's a, it's yeah, it's a six hour PowerPoint presentation of data that I give girls download so, so, stuff. So there's like two pictures of a girl. One has like a little red cross and one has like <laughs> a green tick. Almost exactly like that. Yeah. And so obviously if girls dress cute, guys see that as she's not going to be awkward. She's not going to be bitchy. She seems more approachable. She seems kinder almost. And she's feels more familiar because you probably grew up with a girl in your neighborhood when you were younger who sort of dressed like that, that in that sort of more cute, girly kind of way. So kind of dressed like a 13-year-old? or No, not quite like a 13-year-old. Just um, if I had any visuals I could sh show you. But um, <clears throat> to, to dress cute is to dress almost, I, I give like a, you know, a girl would wear knee-high socks, for example. Um, which is a kind of fashion thing from Japan. It's also, but those knee-high socks are almost schoolgirlish in a way, and that's just a trend, and that goes in and out of fashion with girls. But girls who maintain that as their general look get more guys approach them. That's the, the girls who maintain a sort of more cute look. Mm -hmm. Why is it that you mentioned with women it's mostly theory classes, mm -hmm. and I assume that means for men you're going out and like go get her, like. Why is that? Why, why, why don't women want you to go out with them? They do, actually, and I do go out with them. But they, the thing that women are confused about how men's minds work as much as men are confused about how women's minds work. But what practically what women can do, what women do is a little bit more passive. Their role is to put themselves in places where more high-quality more nice guys that they're looking for, whether it's a one night stand or whether it's a relationship, whatever it is that they're looking for, they need to put themselves in those places. And it's still the man's job to do most of the work. He still has to go over and talk to her. And so for guys, it's mostly practical because you have, have to overcome your anxieties. You see that girl at the bar and you're like, Oh my God, she's gorgeous. And then your brain starts going, Oh no, you can't go over there. You're not handsome enough. She, you know, she's probably a bitch. She's uh, you know, she's out of your league, whatever. And you, all these negative thoughts start to come up and which generally prevents guys from going over and talking to them. So they just stand there and just drink their beer quietly and just scan the room, looking at all the beautiful girls that they feel that they should speak to, but don't have the courage to be able to actually go and do. So that's why for the guys, it's a little bit more practical. There's a lot of theory involved, but mm. it's more about this is the theory. Now go see it in real life. When we talk about, you know, Japanese and Korean women talking to you and mm. uh, especially schoolgirl looks you have, like it sounds like there's a lot of 
Asia-specific uh, information or things mm. going on. So what is something that you would tell to someone looking for advice in dating in Bangkok that you wouldn't tell them anywhere else? Hmm. Interesting. I think the main thing is that there's uh, a big cultural uh, perception of Thai girls that far most foreigners have when before they come here. Um, which th is? Which is like Thai girls are easy. Thai girls are slutty. It's easier to get laid in Thailand than the rest of the world, which that is the case if you're paying for sex. I mean, that, that generally. But if you have girls who are going out, normal girls going to clubs, th their expectations are very different. So actually, for most guys here, th their dating life is much more challenging than it would be back home because it's very alien. And they're coming here with these preloaded mis you know, uh, misconceptions about the way that Thailand works. So... <laughs> what do you tell them? So what would I tell a guy who comes here? I would tell him that bars are not a great place to meet women because most guys, especially English guys, will come here and in their culture, they go to bars to meet women. You know, some guys go to clubs. Most guys go to bars. Here, that culture, that scene doesn't really exist. So the places where you go, you're meeting girls who work at those bars And those aren't necessarily the girls that you want to date. They're, so if those aren't the girls you want to date, you want to, then you need to seek them elsewhere. And that's when things start to become more challenging. Where do these girls go? Thai girls are generally quite shy and quite introverted, um, majority of them. So most of them, they're going to be in shopping centers, malls, you know, cinemas, places where girls go to have fun they're not going to necessarily be found in clubs they're not necessarily going to be found at the bar your favorite drinking bar is not where these girls are going to be found so you need to you need to develop different skills to be able to find the girls that you're really interested in dating the dating coach scene has really blown up with like neil strauss's book right that was mm. like 2004 the game yeah uh, the rules of the game right i i couldn't i read that book twice in two days I literally couldn't put it down I just I flipped through it it was amazing to me um, a lot of the stuff that they talk about in that book I think has been misrepresented or conflated or and a lot of the stuff in that book is just outright wrong <laughs> like <laughs> like I don't know oh, I can't remember so long ago that I read it um, but a, a lot of the technology that they used a lot of the theories that they had a lot of the things that they did then are not taught now They're sort of considered, you know, old hat. Like we don't, we don't do that. All hat, old hat, yeah, old hat. Okay, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't do those things. I like negging. For me, is something that is, um, for me, is not something that I would teach guys unless they ask me about mm. it. Because so, it can be, you know, guys who don't know how to do it are going to do it very badly, um, very frequently. Um, which is the case of when you're practicing any skill, which is why it's got such a bad rap, actually, because you guys are going out practicing it and doing it horribly wrong uh, in public. And that's what people see. And they go, what is that? And he goes, it's an egg. And then it gets this, you know, sort of bad rap. But it's just because these guys are not using it correctly. <laughs> okay. What's your dating life like? My dating life is quite exciting. Um, I mean, I go on quite a lot of dates, but... I try to keep my dating life my own because obviously I'm at the point now where 
the things that I do in my life are not the things that my clients are generally interested in. You know, cl clients come to me and they go, I want a girlfriend, I want to get married, I want to have kids, or I just want more girls in my life, right? I've been, I've only had one girlfriend, I've only had sex with one girl, and I need more women in my life. So those, those are both legitimate concerns that a client would come to me with. You know, girls are the same. They go, I want a boyfriend, I want a husband, I want, I want kids. Another girl would come to me and say, I just need more guys in my life. Or honestly, I just want to get laid. I haven't had a man in, you know, six, eight years sometimes. Uh, so, which you would think is pretty strange, but it happens, happens quite a lot. You describe the guy who is in a club and just nurses his beer and mm. looks at all the women he's not going to talk to. Right. And you go into a club and you look at all the women that you could be talking to. Right. Doesn't that make it harder to have a long-term relationship, stay faithful, or because there's so much more temptation for you? Yeah, I think that is, that is an issue in the beginning. But what happens is, like with most things, if you're starving, a bread roll is the thing that you want more than anything in the world. But once the bread rolls are everywhere, you're more picky, you're more... And then after you've tried a few different things, you start to figure out what it is that you really want. Going through this process has made me way more interested in companionship, way more interested in real deep honest connections with women than just frivolous sex in the beginning sex was for me and is for most guys the driving force that gets them to do all the things that they need to do in order to better themselves to be more interesting and attractive to women but after you've sort of accomplished that then what you truly want starts to manifest itself and starts to become oh, that becomes its own journey So, mm. yeah. That sounds like a very smoothened out narrative. <laughs> okay. So do, do you have, were there any humps? Oh, of course. I mean, you can imagine a guy who's 165 kilograms trying to pick up girls at a bar who is socially awkward, who's been a computer nerd his whole life, you know, fumbling his way through conversations, stammering, d d d d you know, through most of his interactions, mostly as just a wallflower standing at the back of the club watching all everybody else's lives play out do you fantasize about meeting those same people again you made back then as a socially awkward 165 kilogram person no no not at all i mean i i, I don't have i don't have that chip on my shoulder where i feel like i need to prove it to anybody i went down this road for myself i didn't do it for anybody else um i improved myself because i felt that it was you know time for me to get my shit together and for me to put in the work that I needed to change my life. And so I just decided to, you know, double down and just work really, really hard and see what happens. And as a consequence, a lot of guys started being interested in what it was that I was doing. And that's when I started teaching hmm. and the teaching actually helped me a lot because it sort of reinforced a lot of the principles and things that I was teaching. It also made me refine my own thoughts and ideas, which maybe I wouldn't have, you know, for example, like the negging thing, I would just probably teach that now until, you know, I've seen people, you know, misapply it so badly so many times. Hey, like you like, hear that? Do you have like a mic on them? You hear it or you're like... Oh, no, no. Well, so I mean, when I go to clubs with guys, you know, and I'm training him and he has massive social anxiety 
and I've lectured him that morning about a whole bunch of different theory. We go to a club and then he has to go do his approaches and he has to go, you know, try and start conversations with strangers. And then he will go in and immediately neg a girl straight off the bat without even a high. And then she turns around and is like, what the fuck is your problem? Why are you, why are you doing this? You know, why are you being such an asshole? And he's like, oh my God. And he comes rushing back to me and it didn't work. I'm like, yeah, that's not where you use that. So of course my process of going, having gone through it myself, I have refined what I teach because some of these things can can go horribly wrong <laughs> so you kind of played a bit safer nowadays um yeah a bit safer and also it's sort of terrifying to the student too unnecessarily it do that doesn't that's not the thing that should be scaring him mm. the thing that should be scaring him is his natural inbuilt fear of women and how to overcome that and and folk where his focus should be is not on the the minutiae of the theory but more the practice of what what you need to do to get better mm. do you have like some just specific place recommendations for people in bangkok where they should go if they want to look a little bit better lose a little weight and maybe meet someone nice oh um i think looking a little bit better is not hard i think for a lot of expats especially when they get here they go wow thai people's fashion game is on point people are very well dressed here compared to some other countries i've been to And they care a lot about their fashion and the way that they look. I think people who arrive here, they naturally just go, oh, man, I've got to up my game. Where um, do you take them? Um, well, if I'm, if I'm building up a guy's sort of fashion or style or something, I'm trying to find something that works for him. Um, I go to the main department stores, but it's more about finding something that works for that person, that person's body type, colors that work with their skin, um, those sorts of things and finding something that they feel comfortable wearing because you know guys don't want to be too far out of their comfort zone when it comes to fashion not all guys can you know pull off gold chains and an open shirt <laughs> you know okay what about um you know if they you, you tell people you you recommend people a ketogenic diet um, mm. is there any Uh, delivery service or any kind of oh kind i of wish food or <laughs> is there what, what do they well i mean uh, when it comes to uh, everything in thailand has sugar in it as you well know right um it's almost impossible to get away from and if you're on a ketogenic diet there's almost nothing you can eat anywhere so it's all make your own food it's all make your own food uh, there'd be very few places where you can get away with uh eating at this like Carl's jr has a lettuce burger where there's no bun okay. carl's jr's lettuce burger lettuce burger that's it, you, you can eat all of those um well you've got to moderate your protein intake but yeah i mean you can okay. have a burger and it we shouldn't it shouldn't mess with you too much so there's things like that where you could you find those little hidden gems every every now and again and you're like oh i can eat here and get really excited okay <laughs> but for the most part i don't eat out okay yeah one 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 location recommendation for meeting someone Oh man, there's so many good locations in Bangkok. Ba Bangkok is almost set up as like the perfect dating city because there's so many malls that have like, you know, M. Courtier has this beautiful little secret garden, you know, on the, I don't know, uh, sort of midway up the building. Um, and it's this cute little place with like little park benches and beautiful trees and little kids running around climbing on the, you know, sort of jungle gym sort of constructions and wood little bridges and... To know, take a date or to meet someone? To take a date, yeah. For like a little, you know, you go for a coffee and then you go for a little mini date, you know, you kind of take her on a like little 
tour around there and get to know each other a little bit better. Okay, know? what about meeting someone in the first place? Meeting someone in the first place, I always recommend going on, uh, especially for men, I say take a girl on a date where you're having just a drink, uh, coffee, a tea, a slice of cake, something that you can finish in 20 minutes. Okay, uh, but I mean meeting, like the first initial contact. The first contact would be a coffee date. Is my and no, I mean, when you do you meet, do they meet them online? Do they meet them? At a oh, club? They, I mean, oh no, I'm a I'm a big proponent of approaching the girls that you that you want to date. But yeah, the online dating is for sure. The online dating uh, is something that does work here. There isn't a stigma on it like in other countries. But you will find that different apps have are trending. So. Because some things, when they become popular in Thailand, everybody migrates to those things, and then the other sites are almost left dead. Okay, what's your current uh, go-to recommendation? Um, I would stay away from Tinder unless you're wanting to meet other expats. Um, purely for the fact that Tinder doesn't uh, is a sort of hit and miss for most guys. Um, they don't know how to set up their profiles. They don't know how to take good pictures. They don't know. So I would rather. Find a website where you can put a lot of photographs about your, you know, of, of your life, um, as opposed to Tinder, where you only get what the three or four. Right, specifics. Mm. Specifics. Which, oh. which, what's your go-to? Like your my my go-to app. Oh god, I see. I, I try to get all my guys to move away from apps because all of them are on. Like you know, they all have like twenty or fifty dating apps. Okay, give me one offline or online location. All right. Scout for online. Uh -huh. uh, Scout is good because you can initiate conversation. With Tinder, you have to wait for a match. You know, in Scout, you just browse everyone that's online, click, send them a message. Now, it's not to say that they're going to reply, but you know, you can be creative and you can test things and see what's working and what isn't working. Which I, I would recommend that. And there's a lot of really nice women on there. Uh, offline places to meet women offline. I would say meetup groups. Um, meetup groups are great because you get exposed to a lot of different people from a lot of different cultural backgrounds. There's more chance, there's more like higher likelihood that you're going to bump into somebody that you find interesting. And there are so many different types of meetup groups. You can go to a volleyball one, then you can go to a board game one, then you can go to, you can literally go to a different one every week and Even if you don't meet people, it'll still be interesting. So you're at least not wasting your time. Mm -hmm. I think um, meetup groups are really growing a lot. So mm. you, you probably could do now every day. I would even almost. Yeah, like, I would uh, imagine you could. Uh, how do? Okay, so if people want to know more about you, if they want to see more what you do, you said you have videos of you in action. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, tell us how do people find out more about you? How do they get in touch? Um, well, my website is charmformula. Com. And the same, I have a Charm, Charm Formula channel on YouTube, which is also another place where I give sort of long-winded explanations of things. And then I also give very short breakdowns of one thing. So it, whether you have one minute or you have half an hour, it's sort of tailored to both. And I have interviews with girls on there as well as, um, you know, me walking around in public and talking to girls with a systematic breakdown of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, I have a few of those. 
but yeah, those are the two places that you can find me. Okay, cool. We'll include links to that in the show notes so people awesome. can track you down and <laughs> see firsthand uh, what you back these statements up with. And, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> well, Sky, thank you very much for doing this interview. It was yeah. really interesting to hear about uh, your work here and, uh, well, different kinds of work you did here. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been awesome. It's been a fun chat. <laughs> and that's it from Brood in Bangkok for this episode. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and leave it a five-star rating. If you would like to find out more about the show, you can go to broodinbangkok.com and the website will redirect you to more information about the podcast, show notes, and more background information about our guests and anything else you want to know about the show or me. Until next time. <laughs>